Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, our young people are trying to let us know this is serious business. You know, this idea of religion and going to church and punching a ticket and going through the motions. As a pastor, and as many pastors who I connect with, for years we try to communicate to our congregations that, folks, this is real stuff. This is where we live. Every day in the news, we find things happening around us that are forcing us to a place of having to go in one or direction or the other. Our nation, for the most part, is cut cleanly down the middle with maybe a very small population of people who flow one direction or the other just as the winds blow. So it's not a game. Your life is literally on the line. More and more we're seeing that, aren't we? So we're in a revolution, or we can be a part of a revolution. The revolution has already begun. The question is whether we're going to be a part of it. So we've been talking about this revolution. What is it? We have a leader. There is a conflict that's taking place around us. We see this conflict pouring over into the natural, beginning in the spirit, but it's beginning to pour out into our streets, into our homes, into our very minds. It's cultural chaos is what it is. It's chaos. But what shall we do? What can we do? That is to get behind our leader. Last week we talked about Christ and who he is, what he's done, what he's come to do. The question is, are we ready to join in? Well, we're not quite to that place yet. So today we're going to talk about the cause. I think it's, we, it's important that we understand what Jesus came to do more, what he has come to bring. And so I hope to, to lovingly shake us a little bit into a reality of just what it is that we've been called to be and to do. So I want to begin with Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is without question one of the more powerful portions of Scripture in the New Testament. It is the blueprint if you will, for all that Paul teaches, preaches, the church had its foundation, its understanding of transitioning from the Old Testament law to the New Testament teachings of Christ. And what you see as just kind of a, 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 a prelude to this is that Jesus almost presents it in that fashion. It's almost like he goes up, if you look at the two teachings uh, you see what Moses did when he went up on a mountain and he received the law and he came down and gave it to the people. Jesus goes up on a mountain and he teaches the people. There's a very stark contrast between the two commandments as they're given. One brings us to a bondage, an understanding. A, 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 uh, it brings us to the end of ourselves. The other brings us to Christ himself and brings us to grace, brings us to truth, clarification. So I'm going to read 3 through 20, and then we're going to get into our 
expand on this topic today. But blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus speaks, he's cutting into the hearts of the people. He's laying a fresh foundation of what it is to be a follower of God. Not just being a lifeless follower of dead laws, but to understand that it's all about the heart. What we're going to have is a major contrast of lifeless duty and legalism compared to a life full of grace and truth and getting into the very heart of what the Father wanted from the beginning. And so Jesus says, blessed. He begins each one of these with blessed. And that should be something that catches our attention right away. How do I get blessed? Well, to be born spirit, to be humble, to be broken. Those who are proud and arrogant will not receive the kingdom of God. It's not for them. But those who are poor in spirit will be blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And why do they mourn? Because of injustice. Because the laws, the, the control that is heaped up upon us, how we're bribed, the, the injustice, the, the things that take place in our culture all around us. God promises us that even as the world is moving forward and doing what it's done, doing, God says, I'm going to bless those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. Not only now, but in the world to come. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Talks about the kingdom of heaven, and he talks about the earth. Later we understand that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it belongs to those who belong to God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Pushing past just duty, pushing past just religion, but getting to the very heart of God, moving in the presence of the Lord. I'm, I'm going to say something here because, to be honest with you, I'm emotionally a little raw right now, and hopefully by the third service I'll be played out. Unfortunately, that means you guys get it all up front right now. I'm a little disappointed in the church these days. Because I, I feel like we don't understand the presence of God as we should. And I love the fact that we have a worship team and that they come and they, they work hard to prepare a place for us. But as I look around, I'm not judging. But I wonder, I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you know how to connect with God? Do you really know how to connect with him? Do you really know how to reach in and go to him? Do you know how to surrender yourself to him? I wonder sometimes. I love you, and I'm for you as your pastor. But if there's anything that I could give everything that I own for, and that is for you to understand and embrace the presence of God, is a starting place for the, of, of real life change. It's not just coming here. It's not just saying amen to anything that I say. It's not just reading your Bible week in and week out. I'm telling you, if you don't know how to connect to, this, to, to, to God himself, which he has provided for, the whole New Testament is written. It, it's a new covenant. It's a whole new opportunity for you to come boldly up to the throne of God 
and he'll speak to you, he'll comfort you. All of this is available to you that I'm reading right now. But here it is. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What are you hungering for? What are you hungering for? And how does that hunger play itself out? As I regress just for a moment, man, when I'm hungry, it's get out of the way time. In my house, man, when I go for the refrigerator, they all know, get out the way. When you're hungry for God and you're thirsty for his presence, to hear his voice, to touch him in the presence of God. This may be a foreign concept to you. And if it is, again, I'm not judging. All I want to do is say, hey, man, there is an awesome pie in the fridge. And it can be yours. But you've got to go get it. You've got to go get it. And when dinner is served, don't be picking up the plate. I mean, we serve it up big here today. So I just want you to think about that. Don't be mad at me. Let me challenge you. You know I'm a coach more than I am a pastor. And my heart for you is to experience victory, to experience real joy, to experience the kind of life that pours into your spirit, your soul, and your body. If that was not my heart, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You waste the time. I'm not into religion. None of that crud. It's all about him. Blessed are the merciful, for they will show mercy. I guess I need to do that from here on out. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. It's what God is after. What he is ultimately after. To shed the facade. A pure heart through and through. And it can be achieved in a surrender to God. Just surrender to Jesus. No macho, no... No things that we do to make ourselves look more impressive than what we really are. Truth is, we're all on the same plane, little children in need of a Savior. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers. Not stirring up trouble, not stirring up conflict, not judging, not jumping on board with the the race baiters, the warmongers, those who would try to force Christians to think other than what the Bible teaches them to think. Peace. And only God can bring us that. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here we hinge. Here we turn. Because now we begin to see Jesus saying, for all of these things that I just mentioned to you, you will pay a price. To be humble, to shed the facade, to be honest, to keep your word even though it hurts. To walk in wisdom <clears throat> against the storm <clears throat> of folly that we see in, in the world today. We will pay a big price. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you <clears throat> and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I mean, they can say that if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. And they can say that for so many other reasons. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I better not go there. But when they say all kinds of evil against you because of me, that is what it's all about. Rejoice and be glad, he says, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before me. He said, look, when you get into this game, if you're not receiving some fire, if you're not experiencing some kickback, if you're not finding yourself being one of the only fish swimming up their particular creek, you may not be swimming in the right direction. He says, look, wait, and we'll just go on. You are the salt of the earth. And what does that mean? He says, I left you here. You gave your life to Christ. I put inside you my truth. Your mind has been filled with these things. You are now my salt. I have sprinkled the earth with my salt. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, if it loses its effectiveness, if it loses its, the, the, the aspect of change, because see, that's what salt does. Salt sprinkled on anything or connected with any element does an essential change. And that's what we are. We're the changing factor. But if we're not changing, if no one knows we have any power of saltiness, if when we show up on the scene, whether it be in school or at work or in the community or whatever we do, if, if our saltiness is not affecting, changing, transforming, are we salty at all? And he says, if you've lost your saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, Jesus is laying the foundation for the necessary character qualities that are going to take to be the kind of revolutionary that this world needs. Then he goes on to say, and using these two analogies to help us understand, this is, this is how you're going to know. You're going to affect. You're also going to shine. During our times right now, Christians, we are so tempted to not want to salt anything for fear of being assaulted, right? Or to shine or light for fear of being told it's politically incorrect. Or being told, well, you're just intolerant or being told that you're just a bunch of crazy Christians. Folks, if you gave your life to Christ, you're a crazy Christian. It's over. That's who you are. And Jesus said, well, they treated me that way. They're going to treat you that way. He says, so instead they put it on a stand in that light, and they get, that light gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is not a time to hold back. This is not a time to hide. A revolution is all about moving forward. So do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, a fatal mistake for those in our times right now. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What is he talking about here? We've made this distinction before. It is being fulfilled. It was fulfilled. The ceremonial law 
is fulfilled in who? In Jesus. He's the tabernacle. He's the lamb. He's the sacrifice. All fulfilled in him. But there's one aspect of the law that continues to move forward that Jesus was trying to point to. It's the moral law. And I can't cover it today, but I, I, give you, I want to give you a, 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 some homework. That after I'm done with, with Matthew 5 here and stopping at verse 20, I want you to keep reading through the Sermon on the Mount and tell me what does Jesus talk about. He talks about morality. He talks about adultery. He talks about what is sin. He talks about calling each other fools. He talks about life. And he says, look, this is one aspect of the law that is going to keep moving forward. So don't be confused. It was wonderful that Jesus gave us this teaching because then in the sense of what Paul teaches in Romans 6, 7, and 8, it all makes complete sense. So don't think in the end that Jesus has forgiven all our sins so that we can just go out and do whatever we want that we can continue to sin and come back to church and get forgiven again. That we can go out and have two different lives. To have our religious self and then have who we really are. Jesus came to say, that game is over. Because blessed are the humble. <laughs> blessed are the childlike. Blessed are the ones who say, this is who I am, good, bad, and ugly. And he says, I will forgive that. I will wash you. But don't go through the hypocritical means of trying to pretend. And that's exactly what Jesus was putting right in the face of the Pharisees. So I mention all this because who was this Jesus? What was his cause? His cause was to say, look, the gig is up. No more religious facade. No more going through the motions. No more world religions. There is a life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been given a manual to help us walk. We've got letters from the early church fathers to help us walk this thing out. It's all there. So we're just kind of blowing this whole thing up, aren't we? We are. Jesus did it first. That's what, what being revolutionary is. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Think of all the things that are said on Facebook, all the teachings all the things that are going directly against what Jesus taught when it came to morality, when it came to lying and cheating and stealing and sexual sins, when it came to our identity of who God has called us to be. Think of all the things that are being taught, even from pulpits today. That Jesus says, <clears throat> I'll have to call you least in the kingdom of heaven because that's not my heart. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses... Because see, in, just in case you're thinking I'm, that, that I'm way off a of base here, look what he finishes this, this section on. For I tell you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are apparently pretty tight, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus, as a revolutionary, has come to do three things, at least, and let me give them to you. As a revolutionary, and I had a hard time really boiling this down, but I'm going to do my best. Number one, he came, his cause is this, to fulfill the law and the prophets, to cl clarify what is truth, to help, us, to help us push away the fog of religion, the fog of, 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 of what became so confused among the Pharisees, the letter of the law with in missing relationship. Jesus took cords, didn't he? When he walked into the temple and saw what it had become, here this peaceful, loving son of God gets really ticked off. You've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. He came to clarify the truth. He took what the prophets saw only through a glass darkly and to make it completely plain. There is no other revelation, folks. There is no more clarification. There is no angelic wisdom that's going to come to you to clarify it anymore. It is plain. It is simple. It is laid out. There is no other name by, by who we should be saved. No other name under heaven. His response to the question when they come to him, they said, who or what is the greatest command of God? Notice they go right to the commandments, and his answer is brilliant. And Paul refers to it directly and indirectly many times. He answers this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. They're found in Luke 10, 27. He says the whole thing is summed up right there, guys. If you do those two things, if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek a relationship with your heavenly father through the work of Christ, and if you take that understanding, what the reality of how much we've been forgiven and who we really are, then we can't help but treat our fellow neighbors with the same kind of compassion and let them up for air, right? Instead of judging, trying to rob them, defraud them. Mm -mm. That can't happen. So he came, and, and, and so he answered that way and totally turned them upside down because it cut to the heart of the Pharisee. The Pharisee said, those are just words. But when Jesus said, that is the key to it all, their faces must have turned red, and they must have been embarrassed, ashamed to walk away when Jesus, <laughs> in his presence, surely the images of how they had defrauded their neighbor, the images of, Jesus later says, look, you, don't even, you, you call him your heavenly father? You don't know him. Your, your father's the devil. He's the one you listen to the most. He's the one who you follow. Whew. So everything Jesus says and does support this goal. So when he says, love the Lord, you all with your, your, the God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, wow, did Jesus not exemplify that? First thing in the morning, he wakes up. Father, what do you have for me to do today? He speaks of the Father all the time. He's connected. He says, I and my Father are one. Oh, he shows that. Then, to treat others 
to love his neighbor as, his, as himself? How could Jesus walk into a community and see a, a little child with a disease? Ringworm on his arm or his face. To see someone blind. To see one poor and naked without, without favor, without love, without healing in their body. How could he not? He would go into a community and he would love them and he would transform them by the power of the love of God. No one showed what he said right there more than Jesus did. The law and prophets, of course, pointed to our need for a Savior, and Jesus is that, that answer. So what was his cause? To come and say, I'm here. My cause is to show you what the Father really wanted from the beginning, what the law and the prophets were pointing to. The whole Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Christ concealed in the Old Testament, Christ revealed in the New. He fits the position perfectly, doesn't he? His cause is the Father's cause, which is to embrace a new way, a new covenant, a new and better understanding of truth, holiness, and how that is played out in everyday life. That was his cause. Not to build cathedrals. Not to set up some kind of religious system or creeds or the use of beads or pilgrimages. He didn't come to bring all that. Mm -mm. He came to bring life. And when Nicodemus asked him about that, he said, you've got to be born again. You've got to start over, and you've got to be born of the Spirit, which means once that comes again, then, you're, then you're whole, who you are is awakened to the reality of the spiritual realm because we are spirits. Matthew 5 is compared, as I said earlier, to, to the Ten Commandments. It's supported, but then it's enhanced with the Father's heart. He says, this was my Father's heart from the beginning. You guys have missed it. So let's clarify. And of course, it drove the Pharisees nuts because they were losing their control because they were sinners. They were evil. Excuse me. So, which is, when he talks about the heart of the beginning, which is our devotion and our obedience that must come from the heart. Not a cold, lifeless going through the motions. That's what he came to do. That was his cause. We don't just need a savior to change our actions, but a savior to change our hearts. Because once the heart is changed, the actions will follow. See? And every time we try to change just our actions, do you notice how, how that doesn't last very long? You know, because people tell you about that, whether it be losing weight or getting in shape. They said, you've got to change your what? Your lifestyle. But have you ever noticed every time you try to change your lifestyle, it doesn't really work? Because we're used to the same kind of food we like. We're used to kind of the, the pattern of life. But where do, what does it have to really change? You have to change your heart. When it changes in there, then the body, everything else follows. We see that in action. Jesus came to clarify that. As the prophet, prophets were pointing to. Secondly, what was his cause? to take back what belonged to God, to redeem that which was lost. To do this, he must defeat Satan at every turn. 
even in his apparent defeat, he wins. Jesus fulfills not only the Ten Commandments, but his new eight. To show them, to show the world, to show Satan himself, sorry, you lose. Jesus came to set things right, to set things in order, even though it created chaos at the beginning. In the end, what Jesus taught changed the known world. And it continues to change the world. He restores man back to his place of sonship and gives us the right to use his name. We're going to talk about that next week. You're not going to want to miss out next week. Next week, we're going to bring it home. But he restores us back to this place where we can cry out, Abba, Father, where we can be in this worship experience and not just go through, you know, song after song and say, well, that was nice, that was pleasant. But no, it be something that when we're speaking about the Father, that I identify with the Father. It's a love song that draws me in. I know that's not a real manly thing to say, but David, it has always been my, an example as an Old Testament guy, a warrior and a worshiper. I think that's what every man's called to be, personally. The world has shaken since that time and continues to, and will keep doing so right up until the time of Christ's return. So I'm not going to re-preach some of the things that I've talked about as far as the enemy, but we know that what Jesus did was to come back and take back what belonged to his heavenly Father, to redeem that which was lost. And we know that he, he sufficiently fulfilled that in every way. He defeated him on the cross. He defeated him at every turn. Thirdly, what was his cause? Well, let me go back to this. So <clears throat> his cause, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So thirdly, to establish the kingdom of God on earth. To establish the kingdom of God on earth. Now, this is where a lot of Christians really fail the test. Am I right, Karen? This is where we stop. We stop at point two and say, to take back and, and to redeem that which was lost. Amen. You and I get to go to heaven. We've been redeemed. We've, we've been captured by his love, and we're happy about that. But he's got more of a cause, by the way. It's something more that he's given to us. He said, I've come to establish my kingdom here on this earth through you and me. If it was going to be his kingdom only, well, we know it is his kingdom, but if he was going to be the only one to sufficiently bring it in, well, he'd still be here physically. But no, no, no. He said, I'm going unto the Father, and I taught you guys how to do this. I sent you out two by two. I've given you my power, and I've given you my name and the right to use my name. Now go. Change the world. Go and bring my kingdom to every area of darkness. You know, you can look at this two different ways. You can say, man, we've been doing a knockdown great job of this. And we have. But on the other hand, I don't know. Our own backyard is getting pretty ugly lately. Has anybody been listening? Have you been watching? It sounds like to me that it's time for the kingdom of God to be unleashed once again in a whole new revolutionary sense. And what that means is to release the church. That's us, not a building, not, a, not a, a, an, an organization. No, no. 
Jesus came to release you and me. When we gather together in two or three in his name, there he is in the midst of us. And not just to play patty cake in the spirit, but to be able to agree as touching any one thing. Wherever there is darkness, we attack it with the name of Jesus. Again, we're going to talk about this next week. But this is part. I'm, I'm laying the foundation for that. There arose many viewpoints, of course, about what Jesus was saying when he was talking about the kingdom of God. And many of these view, viewpoints have been tested. It's amazing. I've been re, re going through some history, just going through the 1800s. And as I began to realize, wow, the eight, middle of the 1800s was some of the darkest times here in our nation, well, really on the planet. Some of the things that were released during that time, we still suffer with, evolution. The discovery of some old documents, that they, old Greek texts that now are used to try to say that the Bible is, is full of errors. I mean, wow silently, carefully, and what a lot of people's theology was destroyed because these two things came called World War I and World War II that just turned the world upside down. Continues to. The counterfeit of the enemy is a one world, Bible-less, one economy, pseudo-religious global people. That's Satan's kingdom and it's coming for you. Oh, it's already there. You have it in your pocket. That Babylonian system, that one world thing, it's coming after your weather. It's coming after your money. It's coming after your sexual identity. It's coming for you, Christian. What are you going to do? Are you going to allow them to take you? Or are you going to fight with the most powerful weapons that this universe has been given to you and me. The counterfeit of the enemy, again, is that one world thing. It, but it's only a facade of the personal relationship. Well, let me finish it. There will always be some sort of religion because the world can't let it completely go away, which is interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Will it be Islam? Will that be the one that everybody embraces and say, well, that is the least offensive? That's a little scary, and you should know that. We as Christians are warned that the Antichrist spirit would come to and would, would continue to haunt and hunt down the Christian. For those who do not know this, they will be a casualty and certainly in danger <clears throat> of being deceived. But for those who understand the times and know who the real enemy is, they're going to be able to live and thrive in the midst of chaos. And that's what I offer to you this morning. There may not be a way to, to, to change this. We can't turn the full tide around. I'm not crazy enough to get up there and, and say that the book of Revelation is wrong. We know this whole thing is going to get wrapped up. We just don't know when. The truth is, though, until he comes again, we should be found in the field working, Fighting, speaking in the name of Jesus, casting out, tearing down, turning over, using our last breath to establish his kingdom here on this earth because that was his cause and that's what he has given to us. Now go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey my words. Meaning we can't give up on this book. 
Meaning we can't give up what Jesus taught. And we're certainly not going to give up on him. The church will remain the fortress of faith and force through belief, through prayer, through solidarity and truth. The church will endure and change the world around it as far as its reach will take it. It's going to happen. The question only is, are you going to be a part of it? Are we going to be a part of it? On my watch, absolutely. So our call, I'll finish, our call today is this. Jesus' cause is our cause. We've got to speak and live the truth of Jesus and the teachings he brings. We need to pray for saltiness, that we might also be the light on a hill. We need to live the ways of Christ and share the good news of his forgiveness and love. We've got to commit to his cause in all that we do. Jesus made it pretty clear. I've quoted this verse so many times through this, but I'll tell you what, it is my life verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Christian, if you are seeking all the other things first, then it's a no wonder you don't understand what the kingdom is about. But the beauty of being a kingdom seeker is that you get all that too. I don't have everything. I certainly, there's a lot of things I wish I had. But I tell you what, I could die tonight and be a very happy man. Don't judge me. Don't be, don't throw stuff at me. Don't think that the, the choices that I have made have been arrogant and proud. Uh-uh. From the day that I gave my life to Christ and I learned about what the kingdom is about, I led my wife in that direction. I've led my children in that direction. I've walked with my money in that direction. I've lived that way to seek first the kingdom of God. And if I've gotten any blessing at all, it's because of that. Boom! I hope you get it. Next week, we're going to see that God has not only given us a cause, but supernatural weaponry to make all that happen. Folks, and I, I don't stand up here in, in any way, sense, or form being a wonderful example of what God is after. But sometimes, in spite of my silliness, foolishness, falling around, I find some truth that changes my life. I hope you find it too. Amen? Let's stand up this morning.